Hello. Hi. And welcome back to another episode of Break Room Banter Podcast. It is a hairstylist adjacent podcast where each week two friends who also happen to be hairstylists break down our weeks in the break room. I'm your host Hunter Walden. And I am your hostess Erica the Red. And today in the break room. a little shaky. (laughs) Um, Before we introduce the guest I have a couple words to say and share with you. Um, So from the beginning of my career I've been in the industry for 10 years. There are a handful of people that I can say since the beginning have made a consistent impact, like on the decisions that I make behind the chair, the techniques that I use, and you are one of those people. Oh, thank you. So being in Las Vegas in your home right now. <laughs> I'm like, come on over. Yeah. She was like, you can come to my house if you want. I was like, um, okay. Yeah. <laughs> For sure, for sure. But I just want to thank you for everything that you put out and know that face-to-face, the, it has made an impact on me, and it's unreal to me that I'm getting to talk to you in person. So I wanted to get that out first. <laughs> <laughs> and now I can be a normal Hunter, human. Hunter, who are you fangirling over right now? Who am I fangirling? Oh. Yeah, nobody knows yet. In the break room today. <laughs> We have none other than the Na- Ashley Norman. Woohoo! No sound effects on this. <laughs> yeah, I'll make them up for us. Um, so we're just going to start right off the bat, Ashley. I mean, why is it? Why do you do what you do? Which part? <laughs> um, I'm a hairstylist. I've been in the industry for 20 years. Mm-hmm. I started my career actually when I was 17. I went to beauty school and high school, and I really fell in love with doing hair actually backstage in theater. Mm-hmm. So I was a theater kid in junior high and high school, and I actually thought for a second I wanted to be an actress, and then I fell in love with doing costuming and period hairdressing mm-hmm. and decided to go to school in high school. So that's pretty much the story of what got me into it. I love that. <laughs> I wanted to do... Uh, that was how it was for me. I started when I was in theater and then I was like, this is really fun. And then I started doing it on my friends so I can identify with that. But you took it way farther than I did. <laughs> did your school have like a program that you were able to do cosmetology in school? Yeah. So it was like half day high school, half day. Um, I would have to drive into Granada Hills, which was a pretty decent commute living in a suburb of Los Angeles because as a 17 year old the new driver like to get on the five freeway with all the crazy traffic and mm-hmm. that was a big deal and then I worked actually um on Saturdays after you get a certain number of hours you can do an externship and work in salons so that's what I did I was going to school in high school my senior year I was actually um, a girl scout getting my gold award which is like eagle scouts at the same time as going to cosmetology school and working on the weekends. It was pretty crazy. <laughs> so from the beginning, I was going to say, yeah, hard worker. Suddenly yeah, I understand how you can pull all this off. Cause you've just <laughs> always been doing it. Exactly. So you got licensed and you started working in your first salon and you quickly ranked up, if you will. I wouldn't say that. Um, I would definitely say the first like good five years of my career was a, a struggle. Um, I'm also married to my high school sweetheart, who you just met. So um, I actually got engaged with him, and we got married probably two years after I graduated high school. So 
it was a lot of like, you know, we were, we were going to college. I started going to Cal State Northridge for my degree in fashion merchandising, business marketing at the same time as like graduating beauty school and starting an apprenticeship behind the chair. Unfortunately, the salon that I worked at did not have a great apprenticeship program. And so I went to a six-week comprehensive course of Adal Sassoon. Back then, it was like $6,000. And that was a lot of money considering that was 2005. (laughs) Felician obviously has changed the value of money. So um, I remember my parents investing in that course for me. And then I went on the floor. I still really wasn't ready to be on the floor. And I really struggled to build a clientele for a good year and a half at the same time as being a newlywed and also going to college. (laughs) Do you feel like a lot of that had to do with all of the things you had going on? So your focus was kind of spread thin? Yeah, absolutely. I know a lot of people who started in salons that did have great apprenticeship programs, but they required you to work full time. And since I was working part time and kind of splitting my energy between my college degree, it definitely slowed me down in the beginning. I don't really know that I would recommend like necessarily <laughs> doing that. And it come from a long line of like lawyers and engineers and doctors. And so for me to be a cosmetologist, it was like, you're going to waste your brains. What are you doing? And so it was more or less me proving to my parents as like, yeah, you know what? I can get a degree and graduate with honors and still follow my dreams. And that's really why I did it was for that reason. Um, I did have different opportunities that I maximize through my degree program. One of them being an internship that I did, um, with a magazine in Beverly Hills, which I leveraged to do, um, interviews with different hair heroes in our industry. And those types of relationships are relationships that I still leverage to this day. So you can always use anything to get to your goal if that's what you want. But, um, yeah, it was hard to be in college and to, to try and build a clientele at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, Fast forwarding a little bit to when you started your own education. So I read in an interview that you had encountered some like mean girl behavior and someone it's, it stuck out to me because it's actually something that I've heard before just to other people, to me. And it was, you're just a nobody with no followers. No one's going to, who's going to listen to you. Would you say that that is almost what propelled you just the way that your parents did with your college? Oh yeah. (laughs) Reverse psychology works on me real well. (laughs) If you tell me I can't do something, then that's when I'm about to prove you wrong. For sure. I I do too. That's was uh, one of my questions was going to be, how do you take that when someone says something like that to you and turn it around, not let it get you down and not let it get inside your head, but clearly... It sounds like you've had practice for a while (laughs) learning how to take that and turn it into fuel for your fire. Yeah. And I think also too, like my faith plays a a large role in it. You know, Um, I've talked about this before about, you know, because of social media and this number at the top of an app on a smartphone starts to become people's identity. And that's when it can be really toxic because now you become desperate to gain more followers to get that validation as to who you are. And we really can't set all of our identity into a social media app. And so for me, like the thing that really kind of keeps me grounded is going back to it's like, okay, what is 
what is my purpose and what am I doing in this industry? And that kind of goes back into like where my faith kind of comes in. And so when I am really low, it's like, I feel like God really needs to remind me. It's like, no, like this is, first of all, this was never about you. This was about the gift that I gave you. And it's meant to be a blessing and it's meant to serve other people because ultimately what we do is make people feel beautiful. And that's a huge, incredible thing that, you know, not for me, people in their, their jobs get to touch people in that way. And so we really do have an opportunity to be major blessings in people's lives, but it's easy for us to take that gift and let it feed our ego and serve, serve that rather than being like a gift to other people, if that makes sense. I really like that answer. That's really good. So did you always want to be an educator? Like when you were in high school, was that like something that you were like, I mean, cause I went to school with people who were like, I want to be a platform artist, you know, whether they're there <laughs> or not now is a different story, but yeah. they had those dreams and aspirations or was that something that like, as the opportunity presented itself, you were like, Hey, I really like this. I want to see what I can do with this. Well, obviously wanting to be an actress that already tells you that I'm a natural performer. Mm-hmm. I'm also like a Leo. So, you know, I, you know, love to, to be, the entertainment and now I have a five-year-old daughter who's like me <laughs> so I see it it's you know it's just something that you're born with you know um so the entertainer part of that and me like that that stage presence wanting to be on stage wanting to entertain people that was always natural when I was starting in the industry back in that like 2003 to 2005 was when I was doing my licensing it was a very different era mm-hmm. it was like very much a good old boys club you know, it was like the Robert Crome means of the world. And, and I never really thought that I could compete with that because if you were to be that, you really had to work in a fashion city, whether that be, you know, Manhattan or Beverly Hills or Paris or London. And you really had to work, I mean, 80 plus hours a week and always be available. And I also had dreams of like having a family and kids. And, and so it's interesting because at that time, it really wasn't technologically possible for like a part-time working mom to create a global brand. So it's weird because I never really dreamed this big because it wasn't possible when I started. Wow. So you do talk about using Instagram a lot to help put yourself in the fuel to the, you're the fire and Instagram is the fuel. Um, Was that something that you brought somebody in to help teach you that or... Or did you kind of just have to figure it out as you go trial by fire? Oh, yeah. I figured that out the hard hard way, for sure. The hard way. (laughs) Um, So you, like I said before we started recording, um, you've kind of trailblazed and charted uncharted waters with all of this independent education. Um, Like I said, there's like a handful of people that I could say from the beginning, I know them from their education Mm -hmm. so what would you say is the difference in independent education um being sponsored by product lines and working for a product line back in the day like it was a very different hierarchy it was all controlled by the brands and the product lines and the companies. So it was the Vidal Sassoon, Tony and Guy, Bumble and Bumble. And you actually went to a physical brick and mortar academy in a fashion city. And those types of education is obviously primarily to sell product. 
because at the end of the day, that's how they make their money. The, the money coming in is all like marketing and then education is just the side piece of it. And that's even what I'm learning now as I work with brands is that the budget really is for the marketing. And anytime you ask for budget when it comes to more of an education standpoint, it's just really not there. It's not really supported. So I think there could have been a struggle um, when it comes to getting relevant education from a brand because it is going to be driven towards the selling of the product. As an independent educator, obviously you have a lot more flexibility because you can make it more about the education and then sprinkle in obviously the products that you love and that's where you get those sponsorship relationships. However, I do think, you know, the brands back in the day did have a really solid vetting and training system to create great education. So when you went to Bumble and Bumble in New York, for example, like you knew that you were going to have a fantastic educator. You didn't know who the educator was, but there was no way that Bumble was going to put them in front as their educator without having them being trained in that. Nowadays, you can be an early adapter to technology. You can be a great entertainer. You can even be a great hairstylist, but that doesn't make you a great educator. All those different skills from content creation to facilitating a class to doing hair behind the chair, they're all very different skill sets. And I do think this there needs to be a little bit more vetting into what, what it actually means to be an educator today. I think that's really valid because you do see a lot of people out there who are like, take my course or I did this and that and that. And it's like, oh, you've been doing hair for two years. Not that you're not a good hairstylist, not that this can't be helpful, but does that technically qualify you? as an educator um so where or you preach work-life balance and if we're looking from the outside in from like social media standpoint it looks immaculate (laughs) you can tell that you're you're working hard and then you're having your your home time with your kids or you're going on date nights and you're making sure that you make all of that time how or when did you learn that that was a non-negotiable for you? Um, I kind of observed in my career people that did completely just put their career first and I saw their marriages suffer, but more importantly even is like their kids, you know? And I just knew that I didn't want to do that. And I actually made my husband wait longer than he had wanted to like start having a family. But I knew that like we had to wait till I was really ready because I knew how much of a sacrifice it was going to be. And, you know, when I did have my, my first kid, like I cut back from behind the chair from five days a week down to three days a week. And I also made a deal with my mother-in-law to um, pay her to be my traveling nanny and so I also had to financially support my mother-in-law so she could retire from her job. So that's a lot of investment in relationship. But for me, it was like the best schedule I could have ever had because I was able to pare down my clientele to the clients that I wanted to keep, create the specialization that I only wanted to do behind the chair, create the, the dollar amount that I wanted to make per hour mm-hmm. and only take those clients. So even if you're working you know, a 10, 12 hour day, three days a week, that's still more than part-time technically. Then the other three days of the week, I was able to be home with my son. I was able to like even go and take him to, um, 
this club where I could go work out and he could go play with a couple little kids for an hour. So I was taking care of my health, but also at the same time, it gave me more opportunity to work on my brand side, meaning like he takes two hours naps or whatever. I'm able to go in and create content for Instagram or work on my website or create a ticket link or negotiate with a salon host. And so you don't realize like how much back end work there is to what we actually do with hair. And if you don't give yourself that time to do the branding, then you could be doing a lot of clients at a low ticket price that aren't within what you really enjoy doing. And so you're actually working harder and not smarter. And so that's the thing that's kind of interesting is me prioritizing, wanting to be, you know, a very involved mom is what taught me the value of my time. And then once I went to that schedule, I never wanted to have anything different than that. And would you say that having Chris work with you, it has helped the work-life balance because you do get that one-on-one with him, whether it be work or whether it be, what are we having for dinner tonight? (laughs) Or do you feel like you have to have that separation of, okay, this is work, Chris, this is husband, Chris. It's a challenge for sure. We moved here um, coming out of the pandemic. Los Angeles County was one of the hardest counties to be in in terms of the length of the lockdowns. So we were locked down for like 10 months and we were in a two-bedroom townhome and we didn't have an office. So it was really tough at that time because we had a boy and a girl sharing a room. Um, we had wanted to upgrade the home eventually so that they could have their own rooms. And at the same time, my husband had to start remote working. And so it was extremely difficult to have two toddlers out of school and us trying to manage things. And at that time, um, I had just gone into maybe my third year of, of making more than my husband. And he never, he never really had like the type of ambition that I have in his career, even though he was extremely successful, he has more passion for, for our family actually, which is kind of interesting. Um, but you know, even now, like since we've been here for three years, we're still at that point where we're trying to figure out like how to best work with each other. Of course, we decided to throw a third kid on top of that pile. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting. Um, and we're just now getting out of the weeds of that because he's like one and a half. And we actually moved my mother-in-law out here. And then we moved my brother-in-law out here. And now, you know, they're able to be a part of the support network and my mother-in-law watches the baby three days a week and the other two are in full-time school. And, and, you know, now we're negotiating like, all right, so should we hire someone to like come and, you know, manage the household so we can not be doing dishes and laundry and when we should be making PowerPoints and (laughs) rebranding the website. And we have like a to-do list that's a mile long. And I think, I don't know if that's ever really going to go away and you just kind of have to figure out how to manage that. Um, but it is, it is nice though, because we get more time during the day and I've noticed like, as the kids get older, the nighttime is more and more complicated because it's like, now there's homework and then there's this, and then we got to get brushed teeth and jammies and night night. And by the time all that's done, like come nine o'clock, we're exhausted. So the fact that we do have some flexibility to go to lunch or whatever during the day is like, that's almost like our date time at the same time. So it's it's not easy. It's complicated. Things. I guess is the answer. <laughs> I love that. Um, so a lot of this brand building that you have been able to do that would probably be where that fashion degree, the marketing degree, came in. Some of that knowledge, or 
Maybe. Honestly, um, it's funny with college. I, I, I don't know that I learned a lot there. <laughs> well, honestly, like when we were talking about this this morning, I was I was curious. I'm like, if you are already a successful educator and hairstylist like what and a mom and all these other things like why in god's name would you add a degree on top of that you did kind of say you come from a family of successful yeah. people so yeah. that makes sense but my the other part of that was going to be did you foresee it helping further you in your career i thought maybe it would but also too you got to remember like i went through the down the last downturn in the economy mm-hmm so I did take a couple years off of my degree program. And when I first moved into a new salon and became a Bumble and Bumble Network educator, and I wasn't sure if I was going to go back and finish my degree, but I had just finished building a clientele and I went on rent. So basically it was a hybrid model where it was like, you could be on commission until you're ready to rent your chair. So I just went full rental with this built clientele and then 2008 happened. Mm -hmm. And so I actually lost half of my clientele during that time period because LA was one of the biggest cities for being reliant on, you know, the cost of housing. So the real estate market really screwed things up in Los Angeles for me. And at that time, that's when I decided to go back and finish my degree while working full time because it was kind of my backup plan because I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. Um, obviously things recovered and I continued my education. I continued to grow. And so by the time I was graduating, um, college and trying to figure out what was next to my career was around the same time that social media kind of took off. Okay. Mm-hmm. I like it. And do you, did you have a strategy when it came to your social media or were you just posting all your pretty hair pictures? Yeah, there really, I mean, there still really isn't a strategy. Yeah, <laughs> there can't be one, no. I feel. I do like, feel like it was a little more willy-nilly in the beginning, though. Everybody oh, just yeah. posted stuff and the mirrored picks. Mirrored picks, put your, put your watermark on it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, so from the outside, from the outside, always looking in. <laughs> um, it looks as though... You know, you got this sponsorship with Schwarzkopf and then like reading articles, by the way, that's what I'm saying when it looks like Um, you got the sponsorship and then almost immediately flew to Germany and then from Germany to London to everywhere with Schwarzkopf. What was the groundwork that you had to lay for all of that to happen that way? Oh, my gosh. I would say at least a couple, a decade and a half and a hundred thousand dollars in continuing <laughs> education. There is a foundation there that is very rare because it's obviously very expensive and it's, you know, obviously many, many years of dedication to continue to do that. And it's something I still continue to do. You know, I'm halfway through my uh, air touch certification with Vladimir Sarbashev from, from Russia. So I'm still you know, continuing to push myself and continuing education. But I think the thing is, is like, you know, Schwarzkopf is, you know, obviously their, their primary areas, they're from Germany and they're kind of, they're kind of an old school company in the way that they really value that the foundation of that. In fact, uh, Simon Ellis, who is like way the heck up there. I mean, he's the one who runs all the essential looks, campaigns, everything, he is actually the one who got the Vidal Sassoon Academies opened in the United States. And wow. so, you know, realizing that, you know, someone like him, of course, that 
that culture is going to value that higher level of, of education. Again, going back to the difference between you can have someone who's an influencer, calls himself an educator, but really more of the class is geared towards, okay, they are doing a live model demonstration. Maybe it's more about inspiration, about their story. Maybe it's more about entertainment, a couple of laughs, but if there's no theory. And what I mean by theory is there's a difference between showing one how and really understanding the why. And what I like to say is I don't send my kids to school to get a few answers to a couple math problems. I send them to school so that they can learn how to problem solve. Yes. And so having the foundation of the theory is really what made Vidal Sassoon Academy, for example, so set apart. Because what Sassoon did, he didn't teach three trending haircuts. He taught, he taught haircut theory. And the way it was broken down was into this ABC format. It was like, okay, so all haircuts are comprised of your line, your shape, and your technique. And any combination creates any haircut. So now if someone shows you a picture, you can actually head sheet that haircut as if drawing a map to a destination. And so that's what gives you the power to basically have a client sit in your chair, have a great consultation, and problem solve to that individual. So one demonstration is only showing one scenario, one situation, but the theory is teaching how to problem solve anyone who sits in your chair. And I approach color the same way. And that's to me, I think why, you know, the global side of Schwarzkopf accepted me so quickly because it's one thing to be like swaggy in the US. US has a very Kim Kardashian culture, right? We care so much about that EMV, that estimated social media value. But what you don't understand is like the whole world doesn't necessarily value it exactly the same. Other companies, especially in Europe, they still have a more traditional value system and culture when it comes to real education. So that would be my guess. (laughs) That was a great answer. Um, My question for you is you're obviously around some like legends in this industry and you have earned your way up there, (laughs) obviously. Um, But walking into some of these situations do you ever struggle with imposter syndrome or nervousness or anything like that or are you just really good at blocking that all out and being like i'm here (laughs) to learn from the greatest people in the world um i mean i think you know imposter syndrome like comes in a lot of different forms i think and i think all of us have it in some sense and that's kind of when it comes comes back to identity because for me, I think it's really important for people to understand in the hair industry what power they possess and how important it is. And so if I can hold on to that, it really helps me because, again, it's not really about me or my specific talent, but it's about what can I offer to this community and to this industry and thinking about the long run and this kind of concept of legacy. And when you walk out of the industry, what are you leaving behind? And if you realize that you have, each individual has the power to be super impactful in a very positive way, I think that can help work around this idea of I'm not good enough. Of course you're not good enough. Nobody's good enough. That's not the point. The point is about having a life of continued progression. And there's actually like a definition of mental health that is you get positive emotion through a feeling of progression. So that's kind of what I focus on. But I mean, I, I definitely fan girl fanboy these people. Yeah. I mean, even I got my hair done last week in Miami with Vladimir, and when he like rolled up in his 
brand new, you know, Beamer to pick me up, I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, for, here come like, he's here for me. And like filmed it like, <laughs> you know, like, and he took me out to dinner and he just treated me like a princess. And I'm just like, who am I? This is like, this is like, I mean, this man is incredibly, it's hard because, you know, in the U.S., he's still kind of new. We don't really mm-hmm. know him. But, I mean, he, his salons and his academies and the respect that he has over in Europe, it's it's in, it's incredible. It's like, to me, that's everything I could ever wish to accomplish. And so when you're around people who've already achieved what you're, you dream to achieve, that's when you know, like, you're really in a privileged situation. Yeah. That just gave me culture. I was going to say, that's how I feel right now. <laughs> so... Your education has obviously evolved over the last nine years. Um, But with that, I would imagine that you've earned a new set of skills when it comes to business and education planning and marketing and brand sponsorships. Is that something that you would ever share as a part of your platform? I guess I, I guess I've never really thought about that. Um, right now, what I am trying to do is I have uh, four different educators that have been with me. Some of them for six years now, and they've been co-facilitating the education with me on the road. And I've been doing collaborations with them and doing at least yearly team training. And now I'm at the point where I'm ready to let them go and teach under my brand. So I've actually been negotiating some classes for them and. Um, it'll be literally just in April will be the first couple of classes for it's Ashley Norman team education or Ashley Norman Academy education, not just me, the one out there teaching, but my team that I've trained. So this is something new that I'm, I'm trying to do. And, and maybe that is something I can continue to, to explore is, you know, teaching people how to become educators because that's, that's really important to me. Even when I was at Bumble and Bumble as a network educator, they would film us. And then we had to watch ourselves back and we had to sit and critique each other as peers. So being taught how to talk, to teach is not really something that you see anymore. That's what we had, the yeah. process we had with Kuhn. We had 10 days intensive present, critique, present, critique. Right. And it's insane. Mm-hmm. But there, like you said, there's the influencer era, I guess you could say, that they get a couple thousand followers on Instagram and then they can teach a class because they have the demand. But the facilitation of the class and the building of the program Mm -hmm. is something that you don't, not everyone has access to that. So it would be cool if you had that as a part Mm -hmm. of your program, just as I don't know. I aspire to be exactly like you. So, <laughs> Hunter oh, wants to be so like, he grows I up. want to just sit down for hours and take notes on everything that you have to say. Basically, this podcast is so he could pick your brain. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But um, I, just, I don't know. I just thought that was a really interesting question. There's, it's not something that's out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm really passionate about trying to figure out a way to create a bridge between the old and the new hierarchy. Mm-hmm. I think it's time for it. Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing more and more people just really burned out on independent education because they have gone and they have gotten really excited. And even sometimes the soft skills of these people are not there and the way that they even treat people. And it's like, how can you be abusive to these people who paid money to come and see you? And yet... For some reason, they've been allowed to get away with that. But I don't really know that they can so much anymore because 
in the beginning, and the influencers were new. We were all new, and it was so exciting, and it was fresh, and it was like, <gasps> and now it's like everyone's an influencer. So mm-hmm. it's dime a dozen, and I think the cream has to rise to the top. And I think people are going to start demanding more. And I hope, I hope that I can maintain relevance. It's, it's tough because, you know, as the new younger person or the new platform, like for example, like I'm not really on TikTok and maybe I need to be, but with everything going on in my family, it's, it's a lot to manage multiple platforms. So, you know, it's like, how do you stay relevant? And then also how do you set yourself apart where it's like, you know, people, want to buy a ticket but now they've been disappointed by so many others how are you how do they know that you're going to be any different and so how do you show that know that i'm not like that i'm different and this is why but getting that exposure also takes help from the brands as well Mm -hmm. it's very true um so i read somewhere that you are possibly starting your own hair care line um, or did that get backburnered? That's kind of backburnered. I did have a line that I was working on and I was selling it. I still have actually some stock that I have available for sale, but I was working with a manufacturer over in the UK and then a lot of the stuff that happened with the pandemic and the shipping containers kind of took a toll on it. And so I'm just kind of selling out what I have, but I'm at a point now where I think I really do need to get a US manufacturer because mm. the shipping container thing is just not reliable yeah. since you know, COVID times. <laughs> I was all excited. I was like, Oh my I gosh. Know. <laughs> I know. Um, so is there anything coming up in the future that you're looking forward to? Um, I got a couple of things this year. Obviously I, I already told you that I'm launching my, uh, team as, mm-hmm. um, educators here in the U S but I'm also trying to go a little bit more international myself. So I'm looking for more of a, a global exposure I'm negotiating some stuff with like Katina and Schwarzkopf for them to to take me and do some some European stuff. But I'm also on the side working on my own classes where I'm working with actually like people who are event planners. And I'm trying to see if I can actually start getting to that next level. Right now, obviously, I mostly teach in Solange, which is awesome. But I want to get to a point where instead of, you know, traveling every other weekend, like maybe I can go down to like once a month and have a bigger class at a, at a bigger event and, and have it produced a little bit nicer so that the quality is more of an experience. Because one thing I've been told by uh, a manufacturer is that, that coming to a class with me is like going to a, like a, a picnic and like being served like Wagyu steak. (laughs) And there's like, you know, you don't have any like you know, nice place settings and you're eating with like, you know, plastic forks and knives on paper plates. And I'm like, okay, well, well, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, it's better than going to, you know, a five-star restaurant and getting like, I don't know, an Arby's, you know, sandwich. So it's like, how do you, how do you add the quality of the education, but also the quality of the experience? And so that's something I'm really kind of working on this year. And as much as I can negotiate the brands to support me, I might as well also have to just try and and do it myself so it's a big risk financially though (laughs) like an ashley norman academy um i am working on the brick and mortar piece of it at the same time so i've been working with a real estate agent for about six months my goal long term is to have an academy space here in las vegas that's one of the reasons we chose vegas is because it is a destination city so people want to come here they want to party but maybe take a class as well um the academy is difficult because 
it can't support itself, meaning that advanced education, you don't sell enough to support a brick and mortar expense. You need it to be attached to something else, whether that be a salon, whether that be a cosmetology school, or even a product line. So if you look at any other thing like Bumble and Bumble, they were a product line and a chain of salons. I would basically have to start at the salon level. And so I'm looking into what that would be. It's just difficult because it's how do you start a salon group that evolves into an advanced academy at the same time as travel every other weekend for yourself and or for brand commitments. It's it's a lot with three kids and you're trying to maintain your friendships, your marriage, you know, you're trying to be a good daughter-in-law, you're trying to be a good daughter, a good, you know, sister. It's just, there's so much that, you know, I have ambition for, but at the same time, like, I don't want to let go of all of the other things. And I've seen other people get to the top, but lose all of their relationships or maybe even not have kids. And for me, it's like, okay, well, I could do everything and have my dream. But then when I'm like 85 and I'm retired and it's Christmas day, like I don't want to be alone because my kids thought I never was there for them, you know, or I got divorced or whatever reason. So for me, it's like, you got to keep what's the end goal in mind and then work backwards from there. And sometimes it takes a little bit more patience. That was something you said in an interview is something about starting with the end result that stuck in my head. I love the, I don't know. It was just the way you broke it down or something, but that was, I like that. And I'm going to take that piece and use it in my own life. Mm, yeah. Um, one last question before we tell the people where they can find you. And that is, you've talked a lot about negotiating with brands yourself. Have you ever had a management team or someone that does the that business portion of it for you? No. <laughs> Everything is done by you and your husband. Yeah. Yeah. That is insane to me. Yeah. Super you have woman. so many moving parts. And if I didn't already <laughs> yeah. think you were Superwoman, I definitely do now. Where can yeah. everyone find you on the internet? So um, at Ashley Norman Hare, Ashley with two E's, A-S-H-L-E-E. Ashley Norman Hare is my Instagram handle. From there, you can get all my links to online education, in-person education. I also have a line of tools that I sell. And yeah, so I hope to meet some people in some classes. And yeah. And if you haven't tried one of her foiling boards, let me <laughs> Or tell if you. you haven't seen the best swatch, color swatch thing that exists ever. I love that thing. <laughs> yeah. I use it over hours. Yeah. All the time. Absolutely. It's the most accurate. It is. Anyway, if you want to find us on social media, I'm at Herrick Hunter on all the things. I'm Erica the Redhead on all the things. Our podcast is at Breakroom Banter Pod on all the things. And if you want to find an additional way to support us, you can follow our Patreon. And it's www.patreon.com forward slash Breakroom Banter Pod. It allows us to do beautiful things like this with Ashley. Um, and until next time, remember... You always have a seat at our table. Bye! Bye.